appreciate someone who loves you. Well, today, of course, is Mother's Day, and I couldn't think of a more fitting thing to use as my illustration today than moms. Moms are often those people that we don't appreciate like we should. My mom is here, so I'm, I'm going to uh, be laughing a little bit as I share these stories. But, um, <laughs> but moms are just, for some reason, we grow up taking our moms for granted. I'm noticing that even with my own children, and they'll get to a point where they appreciate their mom. But I'm, I'm sort of the one that has to sort of give my wife a gift from the kids and tell them how thankful tell my, my wife how thankful they are for her. And uh, so for a long time, children just take their moms for granted. And I was definitely like that with my mom. I took my mom for granted for a long time. I think I saw my mom as the party killer, the party killer. She would always come up to me and give me advice that I didn't ask for, <laughs> such as turn that TV show off. I don't like what you're watching. Stop being friends with him. Stop dating her. Todd, wear more deodorant. Todd, wear less cologne. Todd, don't be a musician. Todd, stop eating so much cheese. My mom would give me advice over and over and over. And back in the day, I used to think she was just a big party killer. I just thought I could direct my own life without her help. And so I didn't appreciate a lot of that advice. And um, through the years, especially recently in the last 10 years as I've started my own family, I've started to appreciate my mom's counsel because as I look back, my mom actually kept me from a lot of mistakes, her counsel. And going back, as I remembered some of the people I hung out with, some of the decisions I was trying to make, and my mom stepping in saying, Todd, I don't think that's what is best. I don't think you should do that. I started noticing a trend that my mom was actually helping me uh, stay away from decisions that would hurt my life. Not only that, my mom defended me certain times in my life when someone would, would attack me, um, just like the mama bear with a cub, she'd come up and, and, and defend me and say, that's not my son, that's not what he's like, uh, and stand by me in, the, in that corner. And I'm thankful for that. She always believed in me too. I remember there was a period of my life that I was very unsure that I was accomplishing anything, that I was good at anything, that I was going to go anywhere. And my mom sat me down and she encouraged me and said, Todd, you are designed for something you just need to trust the Lord. You need to go to the Lord and find out what that is. Long story short, I'm a pastor. And a lot of that is to the credit of my mom and just her encouragement. Um, my own wife, too, I want to honor her today. My wife is a tremendous mom. She's, she's probably the mom of the century with six young children. And uh, I could tell you a bunch of stories about my wife having to catch vomit in her hands, uh, rub cream on places of the children, get up countless nights over and over and over with the children, changing diapers and things like that. And my wife is a trooper. She is so willing to embrace her role as a mom and a wife. And I am so thankful for that. And my mom and my wife and other moms out there, you guys deserve to be honored for what you do. You really do. We couldn't do it without you. And I mean that. I honestly consider my wife's job harder than my job when I look at it from my perspective. So thank you. And today we want to talk about something that goes along with that is honoring someone or loving someone who truly is deserving of that. And we're calling it the covenant of love today. And we're going to read a portion of Exodus 19 and chapter 20 as it sets the stage for what we want to talk about today because we're going to use a word called covenant that maybe you're familiar with and maybe you're not familiar with. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Exodus 19 and we're going to read the chapter that leads up to the Ten Commandments. Then we're going to read a portion of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, please join me as I read the entire chapter, Exodus 20, excuse me, Exodus 19, and a portion of Exodus 20. Verse 1 of Exodus 19 says, On the third moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of, wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, 
Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the edge, excuse me, whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready on the third day, for the third day, do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Now we're going to go to Exodus chapter 20 and read the first 21 verses of the Ten Commandments. In verse 1 it says, and God spoke all these words, saying, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father's on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. That's our text that sets our stage today for the covenant of love. In Exodus 19, we have a portion of God sort of setting forth a covenant of love to the people of Israel. And the people agree that they will hold to the covenant. And that's that covenant that we want to talk about today. We want to talk about this covenant of love. Because in the Old Testament, in Exodus 19 and 20, God makes a covenant with his people. And in the Old Testament, leading up to the New Testament, we find out that God is going to make a new covenant. I want to read a portion of Jeremiah 31, 
verses 31 to 34, and I want you to notice the language. This is a different covenant that God is going to bring to the people of the earth. If you have your Bibles, Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I'm going to ask you to do something with me today. I'm going to ask you to stay with me. I'm going to ask you to take notes If you are a note taker, please take notes. Even if you're not a note taker, I would advise you, strongly encourage you to take notes today because today's going to sound a little bit more like a teaching lesson than a preaching sermon. But I think it's incredibly important to find out what this covenant means for us today. And we want to really lay before you the idea of this covenant because it was a term that I remember hearing over the course of my life, but I don't think I was very clear on the covenant. And as I've done a lot of digging and studying, I've come to a real appreciation of the God, of the covenant God has made with his people, and I hope you do today. But in order for us to do that, stay with me, stay alert, stay awake, and take notes, if at all possible. Before we start today, we have to look at this word covenant. What does it mean? What does the word covenant mean? You might know this word, you might not. As I study the scripture, I sort of formulated a definition of this word covenant that I see in scripture, and this is the uh, definition that I came up with. Covenant is a noun. It's an agreement, bond, promise, or vow of eternal love and faithfulness between God and his people, which is sealed with blood. It's a vow, it's a promise, it's an agreement, it's a bond of faithfulness and eternal love with God and his people that is sealed in blood. In scripture, there are two primary covenants. There's an old covenant And there's a new covenant. Now, there were more than two covenants that were created. But there's two primary covenants that we're going to look at today. An old covenant that we find here in Exodus 19. And a new covenant that we find in the New Testament. And we're going to sort of lay those covenants next to each other and see the similarities and see some of the differences. But the old covenant, as we mentioned before, is mentioned right here in Exodus chapter 19. It's a covenant that God makes with his people. And it's sealed in the blood of oxen, in the blood of oxen. And every covenant that God made with his people sort of had that as a foundation, a seal with blood. And we're going to talk about why that's so important. But I want you to notice that the old covenant was sealed with the blood of oxen. And this is really fitting that we took communion today because there's a new covenant. There's a new covenant all over the New Testament, even in the Old Testament leading up to the New Testament It's prophesying, Jeremiah the prophet was prophesying about a covenant that was to come. And the difference with the new covenant is that it's sealed with the blood of Jesus. The new covenant is sealed with the blood of Jesus. I want to read one more passage of scripture for us today. It's in Hebrews chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 8. This one's not very long, but I think it's really important to understand this covenant before we start talking about it. Hebrews 8, I want to read the whole chapter. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one to his neighbor and each one to his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now you can tell God has set up a new covenant. And we can even say this, it's a better covenant. It's a better covenant than the old covenant. But there are two primary covenants, and hopefully you can tell that just by reading the scripture. One that God made with the people of Israel in Exodus 19, and one God made with us in Hebrews chapter 8. And this is important because the old covenant went away. The old covenant was supposed to go away. The old covenant was a shadow of the new covenant reality. And we, of course, live in the new covenant. That's the greatest thing about the church is that we're in the new covenant. We're not in the shadow. We're in the reality. But we need to understand there are two primary covenants, the old and the new. Each of these covenants had a foundation as well. Every covenant that God makes with people, with his people, has a foundation. Every blessing, I can even say from God, has a foundation. And the old covenant had a foundation. And the foundation of the old covenant was what God did for his people by bringing them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. That was the foundation of the covenant God made with his people. He got them out of Egypt. He protected them from the Pharaoh, from the plagues. They got to the Red Sea. They were pinned. They were trapped. God split the Red Sea in two. He brought his people through on dry ground. And that's the foundation for the old covenant. That is where he's going to say to his people, I want to love you forever. And here's the example of how I've already loved you. That's the foundation of the old covenant. He wanted that love, that instance of love to point them to the fact that they need God's love forever. And he wants to say, listen, remember what I did. You need that forever. You need that kind of love for the rest of eternity. The Old Covenant had a foundation. The New Covenant also has a foundation. And for the church, for us, for those who live in the New Covenant, our foundation is what Christ did for us by getting us out of Satan's grasp and forgiving all our sins. And that's what we just celebrated in communion. That's so fitting. But that is the foundation of the New Covenant, the cross. That is the foundation for Christ to say to us, for God to say to us, remember what I did for you on the cross of Jesus. That is an instance for you to know and to realize that you need my love for the rest of eternity. Here's how I loved you. Here's how I want to continue to love you. This is how important this love is. And that was the foundation for the new covenant. So the old covenant was bringing them through the Red Sea. The new covenant is what he did for us on the cross by forgiving our sins and removing us from the grasp of Satan. Every covenant, too, has a mediator. There is a mediator for the old covenant and there's a mediator for the new covenant. A mediator, I looked up this word. This is a definition I actually found online. And it's a noun. The word mediator means a person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict come to an agreement, a go-between. So it's a person who actually mediates and comes involved in a person in a uh, two people that have a conflict with with each other. They're a go-between and they're trying to sort of reconcile the two together. And if you know anything about scripture, we had a conflict with God and God had a conflict with us because of our sin. Our sins separated from our separated us from our loving God and there was a conflict. And so in the Old Testament, Moses was the mediator. If you see there in Exodus 19, he is the only one who can come up on the mountain of Sinai. All the people had to stay away from the mountain. They were not holy. God was holy. There was a conflict because of their sin. They were not ready to come together yet. And so Moses went up on the mountain to play this role of mediator of the covenant, to come between God and man and help bring the two together. And yes, that is all laced in the grace of God. That is not Moses doing but Moses was used as a shadow, another shadow of a coming mediator in the new covenant. 
So Moses was the mediator in the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, this is what's so special. Our mediator is Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, is the one who mediates for us between God based on the conflict we have with God because of our sin. He goes to the cross. He dies. He resurrected. And now he goes to the throne room of God on our behalf. Christ is our mediator. Christ is the one that brings our relationship with God back together. Therefore, he's the mediator of the new covenant. And you, see, you can tell already the new covenant is better. It's more profound because the old mediator, as great as Moses is, he was a sinful man. And the new covenant mediator is Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb of God, the son of God. He is the one who makes intercession for us based on our sin and brings us back together with God. I hope you're staying with me. We're going to rattle through some of these points. I think they're very important points, but I understand it is a lot of content. But every covenant had a mediator. The old was Moses and the new was Jesus. Now, there were also terms of the covenant. The terms of the covenant. Now, God had already, already, excuse me, already established his terms with his people by saying to them, I have loved you, I do love you, and I will love you for the rest of eternity. That was God's terms. I will take care of you. I will provide you. I will sustain you. I will love you for the rest of eternity. But then he also gave terms of the covenant to the people, saying, if you want to enter into this covenant with me, here are the terms. And in the old covenant, the terms were the Ten Commandments. That's why we included Exodus chapter 20, because just as God established the covenant in Exodus 19, he then reveals to the people what their terms were, their rules. And the uh, Ten Commandments are written by the finger of God on two tablets of stone. God indicating to the people that I'm making a covenant with you, and here are your terms. Here are the rules. Here are the laws you are supposed to abide by according to this covenant. Pay very, very close attention to these terms because this is your role in the covenant, to abide by these terms. And in the old, it was the Ten Commandments. And we remember that story. Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down. The commandment tablets actually break. He's got to go back up on the mountain and get new ones. But God takes the Ten Commandments. They put them in the inside of the Ark of the Covenant. He makes sure the Ten Commandments are permanent and secure and preserved because they are eternal. And he wants his people to know that those are the terms of the Old Covenant. Abide by my commandments. I will love you. You will abide by my commandments. And those are the terms of the covenant. In the New Covenant, we have terms as well. We're going to call it the Law of Christ. The new terms for the New Covenant is called the Law of Christ. We find that in Galatians 6, verse 2. In the book of James, it actually calls it the Law of Liberty. The law of liberty in James 1.25, it's the same law, just with two different terms. So it's the law of Christ or the law of liberty. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you guys are familiar with that. We've gone through a little bit of that in our sermons. Matthew 5 through 7 is where Jesus is sort of teaching the people the law of Christ. He's taking the old Ten Commandments and he's reforming them. He's establishing them. He's explaining them. He's not doing away with the Ten Commandments. What he's doing is he's showing them in a different light so that people can understand what they were always supposed to be about because there had been confusion about the Ten Commandments and Jesus came to clarify it. And so when he did that, he established the law of Christ. And he said, this is now the terms of the new covenant. My law, my commandments are your terms of the new covenant. They're not different than the Ten Commandments. What they are is a better explanation of the Ten Commandments. They're further established. They're better explained. Christ came not only to teach us the law, but to show us the law by his lifestyle. And really, you could say this about the law of Christ. Whatever comes out of the mouth of Jesus is our law. That is why we hold to Scripture as our authority. Whatever comes out of the mouth of God and the mouth of Jesus is our law. And so Jesus came to this earth and he did a lot of teaching. He did a lot of showing. He did a lot of miracles. He did a lot of displaying God's truth to mankind. But really what he was doing is he was establishing the terms of the new covenant by saying, these, this, these commandments, this law, these are your terms. 
abide by these commandments. This is my law. This is what I desire. This is what God desires. Do not look to the right or to the left. Stay focused on this law. So the terms of the covenant. There were also the purpose of the covenant. What was the point? What was the point of God establishing a covenant with his people? Well, this one is very similar. The old covenant, when God made this covenant, the purpose of that old covenant was to make a people for himself. Honestly, if you know anything about scripture, when sin came into the picture, God lost a people. He created all of us, every single one of us, but because of sin, there was a chasm between God and man. God was not with his people and his people were not with God. Therefore, God didn't have a people anymore. So what God did is he established a covenant in order to bring those two people back to each other. So God and his people could be back together once again. So the old covenant, the purpose of the old covenant, was to make the people of Israel God's chosen nation and for them to love one another faithfully and eternally. So God could have a people and so that the people could have a God. And in the New Testament, it's very similar in the New Covenant. It's to make God's church God's people, both Jews and Gentiles this time. Now it's everyone, black and white, Jew and Gentile, no matter the tribe, no matter the nation, everyone under the name of Jesus Christ is now brought back together with God. So God can have a people and so that we can have a relationship with the almighty eternal God. And that's a really amazing and special thing. And I hope you understand that to have an eternal relationship with our creator, I hope that is special to you because there was a time when that was not the case. We find that scripturally. We find that in our own personal testimonies. There was a time in my life where I was not walking with the Lord. God was not teaching me specially. God was not guiding me specially. And then Christ came into the scene as the mediator. He forgave my sins. He reconciled me back to God. And suddenly I had a relationship with God once again. That's how valuable this new covenant is. As we mentioned about the covenants, there was a seal for the covenant. After God told them what the covenant was about, he, he had to seal it. I don't know if you guys remember some of those old movies where the king will have like a signet ring. And he'll take the signet ring and sort of stamp an envelope or something like that. And that's a seal that it came from the king. And that was really important for people to know. They'll look at that seal to go, oh, it came from the king. This is really valuable. This is really important. We need to pay attention to this. Well, God did that with the covenants. He sealed both covenants with blood. Because without blood, we learn from Scripture, there is no forgiveness of sins. And we need forgiveness of sins in order to come back together with God because God and sin do not mix. God and sin do not come back together. So if God's people are going to come back together with God, their sins must be taken care of. Those sins must be removed. And that's why blood is important. In the Old Covenant, God sealed it with the blood of sacrificial oxen. We find that in Exodus 19. For the forgiveness of the sins of people, oxen were sacrificed. Their blood was used to sprinkle the people, to shed the blood of the oxen for the forgiveness of the people so they could find forgiveness with God. The problem with that blood is it was insufficient blood. It had to be offered over and over and over because the people kept sinning over and over and over and that blood wasn't sufficient enough to take care of all of those sins. So if you remember the Old Testament ceremonial law, they kept sacrificing animals and the priests kept sacrificing animals, taking the blood into the Holy of Holies and, and sprinkling the blood year after year after year after year because the blood was insufficient blood for the sins of the people. And this leads up perfectly to the seal of the new covenant. Because the seal of the new covenant is the precious blood of Jesus' one sacrifice. The precious blood of Jesus' one sacrifice is the seal of the new covenant. And the difference with this blood is that it's sufficient for the forgiveness of all our sins for all time and for the salvation of us from that sin. The blood of Jesus Christ. You know what? I'm behind my slides here. Let me catch up. Luke, you may have to step in here. God's seal of the new covenant is the precious blood of Jesus once sacrifice. And that really is important for us to know because now it's not oxen, it's not sheep, it's not goats. The Son of God came to this earth. He spilled the blood of Jesus, or he spilled the blood of himself so that we could find not only forgiveness of those sins at that time, 
but forgiveness of all sins for all time. Thanks to God. That's the seal of the covenant, and that's really important to notice. That someone had to die. Something had to die in order for us to find forgiveness. In the Old Testament, it's still sad that animals had to be sacrificed in order for them to find forgiveness. But in the New Testament, how much more so that the blood of Jesus had to be spilled in order for us to find forgiveness and for God to seal that covenant and say, it is now sealed. The blood of Jesus was spilled. I accept it. It is permanent. It is sufficient blood. You are forgiven. You and I can be together for the rest of eternity. That is the seal of God's covenant. Now, we also have a seal as a part of this covenant that we have a role in. And our seal back in the old covenant, maybe you guys are familiar with this term, it was called circumcision. Circumcision, I'm not going to explain what that is. I'm hoping you just know what that is. But it was a sign that he gave to the men of the tribes of Israel so that they could have a sign that they belonged to God. That was their seal of the covenant, that they were buying in and and establishing that covenant with their God. They were going to be circumcised on the eighth day as part of the covenant coming back together with God. And that's the old covenant circumcision, is the old covenant um, seal of the people. The new covenant seal for the church is not circumcision, it's baptism. Baptism is now the seal of the new covenant. Most of you guys are understanding what baptism is. It's a symbol of something that has already taken place inside the soul when Jesus Christ comes into our soul. He washes us. He cleanses us by the water, the spiritual water, and he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And then God said, I want you to be baptized. I want you to be baptized as a symbol to you, to God, and to everyone who's a witness that you are a part of God's eternal covenant. And so he says, get baptized. That's important. Be baptized. That is our seal of the covenant. We are saying to God, kind of like a marriage vow, God, I'm yours. Christ, I'm yours. You're mine. I'm yours. I want to go forward in this covenant, and I'm going to show you that I'm willing to take this step called baptism. So there's a seal, and there's a seal because both parties have to be included in a covenant. If one person forces a covenant on another person, that's not a covenant. A covenant is only established when both parties, God and man, accept the terms of the seal and the covenant is then made. And so if God spills the blood of the oxen or the blood of his son and the people do not do their part of the covenant, then the covenant does not come together. That's why there are many people in this world who the blood of Jesus Christ has been shed for, but they haven't agreed to the covenant yet. Therefore, the covenant with those people has not been made. Only those people who have said yes to Jesus Christ, who have trusted in Jesus, who have been baptized, are the people that have a covenant with God because the covenant can only be made when the two parties come together and accept the terms of the deal. Now, here's a key difference of the covenants. This is very important to understand. There's a key difference in these two covenants, and this key difference is going to be established by a mountain. It's going to be represented by a mountain, I should say. In the Old Covenant, it was, it was represented by Mount Sinai. And you remember that in Exodus 19, it's sort of a terrifying thing that's taking place where God comes down on the mountain. I mean, he actually comes down on the mountain and sort of resides on the mountain in a temporary uh, dwelling place for God. And the mountain is on fire. The mountain is shaking violently. Smoke is rising up from the mountain because God is a consuming fire. And anything that God sort of dwells upon in his glory is going to look like that. And so this Old Testament, this Old Covenant is established based on fear. And that's interesting to note because God was holy and man was not. And he gave them very clear instruction to say, man, people, you cannot come to the mountain. You cannot touch the mountain. You are not holy. I am holy. If you come in this state, you will die. So stay very clear of the mountain. And it was based on fear, and that's interesting, but it's important to notice that because the new covenant is based on something different. But the old covenant is based on fear, but even so, thanks to God's covenant in the Old Testament, his people were going to be destined to come to a land called Canaan, the land of promise, the promised land, where that fear would be removed, where God and man would have perfect fellowship with one another. 
that fear would be gone, that distance would be gone. God and man could come together in perfect fellowship and have communion and union together once again. But here's what's interesting. The Old Covenant was designed to be insufficient. The Old Covenant was designed by God to be insufficient because there was a new and better covenant coming. And the Old Covenant could not make men truly holy. It could forgive their sins for a time, but it could not make them truly holy in the eyes of God. And therefore, God is saying to us, something better is coming. The Old Covenant was a shadow of the reality of the New Covenant that we find ourselves in today. God gave us a trailer or a teaser, if you will, of what the New Covenant was going to look like. So, God established this Old Covenant, but it was kind of supposed to be insufficient from the from the get-go. If any of you guys remember the, if you're, any of you are parents being Mother's Day, and you remember having your first child... I remember having Haddon in 2012, and I remember thinking, we're going to be great parents, and uh, we're just going to really do well from this from the beginning. And so we established sort of a, a process or a protocol of how we want to raise children. And we were very careful with Haddon. You know, we had this bedtime routine. We went with Haddon. It took forever. It took like an hour, an hour and a half to get Haddon down for a nap. And we were very caring and touching with our child and very careful to not let any germs touch him. And Maybe you guys have seen the commercials of those diapers commercial, and then they say kid number two comes, and then you throw out the game plan from kid number one. That's exactly what happened. When we had our twins, we had two babies at once. The plan that we had for raising children with had, and we kind of threw out the window because we realized it was impossible. It was unrealistic. We didn't have a clue about raising children. We, had, we, we were trying to raise one child together as a team, and now we had three children, and we were outnumbered. We had to throw the old playbook out and come up with a brand new playbook, one that was designed for raising three young children. And now we have six young children. We've thrown the old playbook out. Now it's just like, let them run. Let them run rampant. Take over the house. Let them do whatever they want. I'm teasing a little bit. But it's interesting God established the old covenant on purpose to be insufficient because it was supposed to highlight how much better the new covenant was going to be. And so, in the Old Testament, it was represented by Mount Sinai. God did not have perfect fellowship with his people, and he established this covenant and said, don't come near the mountain, only Moses can come near the mountain. And in the Old Testament, it was represented by Mount Sinai. But in the New Covenant, it's also represented by a mountain. This time, it's represented by Mount Zion. Mount Zion. And Mount Zion was an actual mountain in Jerusalem that was going to be used as sort of a metaphor for God's covenant. Because Mount Zion, if you read through scripture, also refers to the kingdom of God. It refers to heaven. And so Mount Zion there in Jerusalem was a metaphor for God's eternal dwelling place with his people. And this covenant is very different than the old covenant. This covenant is based on joy. Remember, the old one was based on fear. You're not holy. I am holy. Don't come near the mountain. We're not together yet. But this new covenant is based on joy because Christ died to make us holy. Wow. Thanks to God's new covenant, we are destined for a land, heaven, where one day we will have eternal love, eternal security, eternal rest, having God always with us in perfect fellowship. And that new covenant is pointing us to that land, that promised land called heaven, one day where we will one day be with our God forever. And the new covenant, unlike the old covenant, was designed to be perfect. Perfect, no holes, no flaws, no insufficiencies whatsoever. It was created to make men perfectly holy so that one day they could come together with their God in perfect union, in perfect fellowship, and be together with their God for all time. The new covenant is the reality of what the old covenant was pointing to. The old covenant, again, was designed to be insufficient. It was designed to point like a neon sign to something better, something greater. And once the new covenant came, the old covenant just went away. It vanished. We no longer needed it. It was insufficient. It was incomplete. It wasn't as good. And so the old covenant was put away so that the new covenant could come and be the eternal covenant with God. But what's interesting is that in the old covenant, the people had to journey through the wilderness with God 
keep their covenant with God in order to eventually reach the land of promise, which was called Canaan. They had to journey with God through the wilderness, keep the terms of the covenant, and eventually they would reach the land of promise. Now, what's sad about the old covenant is a lot of them didn't make it. A lot of them did not reach the promised land because they did not refuse to keep the covenant of God, and many of them died in the wilderness. Now, what's interesting about the new covenant is that the church has a wilderness too, and we're on it right now. It's called earth. The church has a wilderness too, and it's called earth. We are now in our wilderness period. This is the wilderness period God has placed us in. It's hard. It's difficult. We face a lot of pains and a lot of sadness and a lot of loneliness, especially during a pandemic. But this is our wilderness time. And just like the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God is telling us to journey through the wilderness with him, keeping our terms of the covenant so that one day we will reach our promised land. And our promised land is in Canaan. It's heaven. But there's an interesting difference there between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. One is represented by fear, by Mount Sinai, and the New Covenant is based on joy, based on Christ, based on making us holy, based on God bringing us together for all eternity in our promised land. Now, here's a common denominator of the two covenants. Both the Old and the New Covenant come with a warning for us to not break the covenant. In Hebrews chapter 10, if you have your pen, write that down. Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 31 is where we find out that God warns us to not break the covenant. Otherwise, there will be consequences. See, breaking the old covenant was worthy of death. It was worthy of death. If you broke the old covenant with God, it was worthy that you should die because of that. And many of those people did die because they broke the covenant with God. But breaking the new covenant has graver consequences because... It's enacted on better blood. It's enacted on better sacrifices, and that sacrifice being the Lord Jesus Christ. And God tells us, do not break the covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ because his blood was shed for your sins. And this covenant is much better than the old covenant. Therefore, the warning is greater to not break the covenant. If you broke the covenant in the Old Testament, you could die physically on the earth. If you break the covenant of the new covenant, you can die eternally. See, since God is never changing and he remains faithful and steadfast and enduring with his people, his covenant will only be broken one way, if his people break it. The only way God's covenant can be broken is for his people to refuse to keep their part of the covenant because God can never and will never break his covenant. It's impossible to happen. God will never break his part of the covenant. If you look back in the Old Testament, Many of the people of Israel did die, but it's not because God broke his covenant. On the contrary, it was because they broke their side of the covenant. So if the covenant is going to be broken, and in the Old Testament it was broken, and that's a really sad part of the story, it was broken by the people, not by God. God did not break his covenant. Hebrews 6, verses 13 to 20 teaches us that, that God cannot and will not ever break one of his promises or his covenants. And God's covenants, this is important to note as well, are laced in patience. Because you could get very concerned by that, going, man, if I break the covenant of God, I can die. Yes, that's true. But God's covenants, both old and new, are laced with his patience, with his forgiveness, with his mercy, with his truth. You know why that is? So that all of us will have every opportunity, every chance to keep our side of the covenant. God wants us to keep his covenant more than we do. And I'm thankful for that. And the only way the covenant can be broken, the only way is by obstinance, by refusal, by rebellion from God's people to not keep the covenant. The only way the covenant will not be kept is if the people refuse to keep it, even if God is patient and merciful. I know we've talked about a lot. We have. We've talked about a lot. We've talked about what the covenant is and all the important details of it. How do we enter into the eternal covenant of the Lord? I hope you all know this by now, but the way that you enter into the covenant of the Lord is through simple, childlike faith in Jesus. That's how you enter into this covenant of the Lord. Jesus does the rest. All you need to do is say yes to Jesus. You need to turn from your sins. You need to trust in Jesus And you are then entered into the covenant, the eternal covenant of God for all time. 
Turn to Jesus by faith and all the covenant promises are yours forever. Because this covenant is made even for children. Isn't that cool to know that even young children can find God's eternal love by simply trusting in Jesus? That's the only way that you can enter the covenant and it's the only instructions given to us to enter the covenant. Trust in Jesus. I hope you have done that. I hope you will say today, that is me. I have turned to Jesus. I have trusted in Jesus. I have begun this covenant to love with my Lord. But here's another question is how do we keep the eternal covenant of the Lord? How do we keep the covenant of the Lord? We know how to enter it. We enter it through childlike faith in Jesus. But how do we keep the covenant of the Lord? By loving the Lord through obedience and faithfulness to the terms of the covenant. If you uh, were online or on Facebook, we printed out a second sheet with our bulletin. And on that second sheet is called the commandments of love. And it's something we've used in the past at Wyoming Valley Church, but I thought it was really necessary for our talk today to help us understand what our terms of the covenant are. Because God has called us into a loving relationship with him. This covenant offers forgiveness and salvation and eternal life all for free, for us, forever. But God is also demanding that if we come to this covenant with him, that he has all of us. He has all of us. Unless we're willing to follow the terms or the law of Christ as we looked at, it's best we don't enter into the covenant with God. Because if we enter into the covenant of God and trifle with that covenant, we're going to find actually worse consequences than we did if we didn't have the covenant. If we enter into the covenant of God lightly and trifle with it, and it's a very shallow thing for us, it's actually going to be worse than before when we had no covenant with the Lord. Because the covenant, again, is enacted on better blood, better promises, better sacrifices. The Lord Jesus Christ had to die. And Jesus in Luke 14, if you remember that passage, people come to him in floods and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'll go wherever you go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And Jesus said, be careful. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you follow me, that might be your lot. Are you ready for that? Someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you, but let me go first bury my dad. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. And he said things like, pick up your cross, follow me, renounce everything, and follow me. And Jesus is reiterating to us once again, do not come to the covenant lightly. Come to the covenant with all of you, with every part of you. Now, you don't have to be mature and complete and perfect to come to the covenant. You come as a mess. You come as a sinner. But you do have to come with a seriousness and a faithfulness and a determination to follow Jesus for the rest of your life because he's not looking for part-time followers. Those who do not keep the covenant of God will find his most grave consequences and those who do keep the covenant of God will find his most amazing blessings and promises for the rest of time. God, I want this to be clear today, God wants to love us forever. God is doing everything possible for him to love us forever. He is going to help us keep our covenant, our side of the covenant, by his grace and by his wisdom. He does not want his covenant broken. He does not want us to perish. He does not want us to find the angry side of God. He wants us to be in perfect fellowship and love with him for the rest of time. As an illustration, many of you guys know wedding vows, what wedding vows are. Maybe if you've been married yourself, or you've been to a wedding, you've seen people exchange vows. Um, I found some classic vows, some generic vows online, and I actually tweaked them because I think it's a good illustration for what happens when we enter into a covenant with the Lord. We sort of say vows to one another. At a marriage, and this is in, it's interesting about marriages, marriage was represented, was instituted to represent Jesus, was instituted to represent our relationship with Jesus. And so even the world, even people who don't believe in Jesus, have vows at their wedding. And I found these vows online and I sort of tweak them to work with the Lord because this is similar. This isn't exactly what we're supposed to say to the Lord. I don't want to mislead you at all. But this is an illustration for what we say to the Lord when we come to his covenant. I, Todd Walker, take thee, the Lord Jesus, to be my wedded bridegroom, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, 
to love and to cherish for the rest of eternity according to God's holy ordinance. And thereto I, ble- I pledge thee my faith and my soul to you. Now, unless you think that is something I just sort of made up and came up with my own, the Lord actually said this kind of thing to his people. In Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6, the Lord made vows to his people. And he said this, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, listen to this, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Do you notice that? God is making vows with his people in the Old Testament, saying, I will love you forever. If you enter into this covenant with me, I'm yours and you're mine for the rest of time. Fast forwarding five more chapters to Exodus 24, the people of Israel say their vows to the Lord as well. Exodus 24.3 says this, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Do you notice that? Do you notice vows being exchanged? The Lord says his vows to his people. The people say their vows back to the Lord. The blood of the oxen is then spilled. I'm gonna have, we don't have time to read this, but write down Exodus 24, 4 to 8. Exodus 24, 4 to 8. The blood of uh, the oxen is spilled and the covenant is sealed in the blood of the oxen. Because the people came together. God came together. The people came together. The seal was there and the covenant was made. And the Lord kept his covenant with his people. But the people sadly refused to keep theirs with God. And because of this, they were cut off from his eternal promises that were attached to the covenant. Because if the covenant goes away, so do the promises. The promises only come with the covenant. If you want God's love, if you want God's forgiveness, if you want God's tender affection, protection, love for the rest of time, you must enter into a covenant with him. You cannot take God's promises and then leave him. That's not how it works. You only find God's promises inside the covenant of love. So when you come to the covenant, you come willing and expecting to follow him for the rest of your life. This is a passage we've read for the last couple weeks, but listen to the covenant being broken by the people of Israel in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Do you notice that? The covenant was broken with the people and God because the people broke it. God did not break the covenant. God kept his vows, God kept his side of the covenant, and the people did not keep theirs. And God gave them much patience, much forgiveness, much time, many generations passed, where God was willing to be long-suffering and endure the pain, endure the hardship himself, so that his people might come back to the covenant. But sadly, they refused and they broke the covenant. And we can't change history. That's actually what happened, and we can't change it, and that's a sad part of the story. But here's what we can do. We can act differently. And now it comes to us. The Lord first made his vows to the church to enter and keep his covenant with us forever. Here's what we find in John 3.16, God's vows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It's a wonderful verse. Here's another one from 1 John 2. Verses 24 to 25, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. God is saying his vows to the church. If you will enter into this covenant with me, my love, my forgiveness, my patience, my protection is yours for the rest of time. And this covenant was sealed just like the old covenant was, only this time with the blood of Jesus. The blood of God's Son was spilled so that God could seal the covenant for all time with his people. 
In Colossians 1 it says, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Ephesians 1, 7 it says, In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The covenant was sealed. God has sealed the covenant. He made his vows. He sealed the covenant. And he says to us, now it's your turn. If you've already entered into the eternal covenant of God by faith in Jesus, then we're bound by God's promises and he's bound, excuse me, we're bound by our promises and God is bound by his promises. And God has promised he will absolutely keep all of his promises for the rest of time. The only way this covenant is broken is if we don't keep ours. If we abandon God, if we leave our God, that is the only way this covenant can be broken. And God will do everything imaginable and possible for, not, for that not to happen. But he will not force us. We have to keep the covenant. We have to keep the terms of the covenant. And we will be helped by our God in order to do so. If you haven't entered into the covenant of God, I want you to consider three things very briefly. If you're not saved today, and you say, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know what this covenant is. I don't know what God's love looks like. If you're not saved, I need you to consider three things today. Number one, what's going to be the consequences for living in your sin against God for the rest of your life? See, God hates sin. He hates sin. And we know that because when Jesus came to this earth to pay for the sins of the people, Jesus had to die. God hates sin. And sadly, hell is real. It's real. And those who refuse to come out of their sins are going to find one day how real hell is. So number one, you need to consider what are the consequences for remaining in your sins apart from the love of God for the rest of eternity because sin is detestable to God. Number two, where can we find a better bargain? To have all our sins forgiven, to have all God's power, to have salvation over sin, to have promise of eternal rest and eternal security and eternal glory with the Lord forever, absolutely free of charge. Where can we find a bargain like that? Jesus paid it all. See, our part of the covenant, you would say, well, it sounds like there's a catch. It sounds like, yeah, it's free of charge, but there's a catch. I have to keep my side of the covenant. Yes, you do. That's not a catch. That's an obvious response to the love of God. When someone says to you, I will love you forever. I will never abandon you. I will never break my covenant. I will never break my promise. The obvious response to that should be that I want you too, God. I want you too. If that is true, if that's the reality, if you will always keep your promises that I want you too, where can we find a better bargain than to find all of these amazing blessings through Christ for absolutely free of charge? And number three, are you ready to keep the covenant? Don't come to the covenant lightly. Don't come to the covenant if you just want eternal life and want to go back to your sins. That's not how it works. The way for you to find the promises of God is for you to stick with the covenant of God. So don't come to this lightly. Either come to the Lord with all of you or don't come at all. Even Jesus reiterated those words. He's not looking for part-timers. He's not looking for half-timers. He either wants all of you or not at all. But the Lord wants us to have his eternal covenant love with him forever. I want to stress that. He wants us to have it. He sacrificed his son Jesus so that we would know to what length he wants us to have it. I want you to imagine uh, wedding vows. We talked about wedding vows. I want you to imagine inserting into your wedding vows a clause. You were going to say your vows to your spouse, but you wrote a clause inside those wedding vows to say this. Yes, I will love you, but if it gets hard, or if I find someone prettier, I'm going to leave you. Imagine saying that in your vows to your spouse. If it gets hard, or if I find someone better and prettier than you, then I'm going to leave. Can you imagine saying that to your spouse on your wedding day? No, of course not. No one can ever imagine that. And that's exactly what God is asking from us as well. I'm going to love you for the rest of time, but I want your faithfulness as well. For those of us who already entered into the eternal covenant of the Lord, or those of us who are ready to enter into the eternal covenant of the Lord, do you know the law of Christ? And this is what we're going to end on today. Do you know the law of Christ? 
We can't love the Lord if we don't know what he desires from us. Okay, when I married Janine, it was classroom time. I had to start learning what my, li- my wife likes, what my wife enjoys. If I wanted to love my wife generically, just like every other person in the world or every other girl that I've dated, then I wouldn't have loved my wife because my wife doesn't love a lot of the things that other people love. She loves very specific things. So I had to learn that my wife likes books. She likes coloring her hair. She likes ice cream. Who doesn't? She also doesn't like when when men wax their eyebrows. I wasn't going to be able to do that. She doesn't like when people chew with their mouth open. I wasn't going to be able to do that as well. And that's that's kind of a joke. But I'm, what I'm proving to you is that I had to learn my wife. I had to learn about her, what, her, what she likes, what she enjoys, so that I could love my wife properly. And Christ is saying to us that exact thing in John 14. In John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Janine and I watched a documentary the other day on this um, pretty famous cult. I don't really want to mention the name because I don't want to promote anything, of course, but we watched a documentary on this pretty famous cult, and it was really dark and really sad. And I don't think I encourage anyone to watch it because it's, it's pretty dark. Because this man it was claiming to be a Christian and claiming to know God, and he was doing really, really bad things. And I considered, how could a religious so-called Christian man, who apparently, according to his testimony, had memorized the entire Bible, how could a man go so far astray and hurt so many people? How could that happen for a so-called Christian, for a so-called religious person? And you know what I came back to? The commandments of God. Guys, we have far too many opinions. We have far too many theories out there. We have far too many people saying they're having special interpretations and revelations from God about what he is and what he desires. See, God knew we were capable of being very wrong about him and his will. So he gave us very specific and very clear commandments from his written word. And he preserved that Bible for thousands of years so that we don't have to be wrong. 1 Corinthians 13 and the rest of scripture teaches us that if we don't spend our lives loving one another according to his commandments, we are wrong. We're wrong on everything. If we don't spend our life in love towards others, we're wrong. We can't be truly religious and not obey the commandments of Christ. We can't claim to love Jesus and not obey the commandments of Christ. We can't belong to the church and not obey the commandments of Christ. Guys, we can't even be sure we're saved if we don't obey the commandments of Christ. There's so much today being spewed on media and social media from from people, from people's opinions and thoughts and theories. Everyone seems to have an opinion of what is most important and what we should live by. I just want you to take a scroll through your Facebook feed sometime and just make note of how many things people think we should be passionate about. How many things people think we should live for and care about. See, if you don't know the word of God, you're going to fall for these traps and you're going to be wrong. Because God did not want us to custom-make Christianity. He gave us specific and clear commandments so that we would know exactly and precisely what he is looking for. And I hope you know this, at Wyoming Valley Church, we preach that God's word is our authority. It is our authority and nothing else. If some ideal or opinion or theory sounds quite logical and the person is very impassioned about declaring it, but it doesn't come from the mouth of God, it's wrong. It's wrong. If we are not spending our lives doing everything we can to fulfill our side of the covenant by keeping his commandments then no matter how religious and pious we think we are, we are wrong. The paths of error, and there are many paths of error made by the devil, all lead us directly to eternal death. That's how dangerous not listening to the commandments of Jesus are. Please, Wyoming Valley Church, I'm going to plead with you today. Know the commandments and obey the commandments. We printed a sheet out for you. It's online. It's on Facebook. We'll probably send it out through email as well. If you didn't get it, please reach out to me. We have put down the commandments of God for you so that you're not foggy. 
not vague on what God expects from us. God has been very crystal clear about what he wants. And honestly, we've mentioned this before, all of God's commandments boil down to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, a covenant is a two-way street. It's a two-way street. Before we close today, I want you to imagine someone saying this to you in a wedding vow. And this is basically a summary of what wedding vows are. Imagine someone saying this to you in a wedding vow. I will never, ever leave you. I will never abandon you, no matter what. I think that is the most powerful statement anyone can ever make. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you, no matter how hard it gets. No matter what, I'm with you till the end. And you know that's what God said, said to us in Hebrews chapter 13. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And here's the point. It has one point. Let us say that to the Lord as well. That's what a covenant is. Lord, I believe. Lord, I accept. Lord, I need your love. And Lord, I want you to have my love as well. The Lord is worthy of that love, isn't he? He is worthy of that love. And by faith in Jesus, we can have this covenant. But when we enter into the covenant, we belong to him and he belongs to us. In 1 Peter 2, as we close, listen to what it says. Listen to this. I love this passage. 1 Peter 2 verse 10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. Guys, we talk about a lot of Christianity being a relationship, but it is. It is. It's not a lot of just rules and mandates. It's about loving someone because that someone loved us. Make Christianity very personal. My Jesus. My Lord Jesus. He loved me. He loves me and I love him. Is it personal to you? Is Jesus touched your soul and your heart to such a degree that you're saying back to him, Lord, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I belong to you and you belong to me. That is the point of the covenant. I hope we've represented that properly today. I can only urge you and compel you to study this even more, to study the great love of God that he gave us through Jesus Christ in order that our God, who is so worthy of it, would have that very same love from us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this. I know it was long and a lot of information, and I almost backed off because of that, but Father, I thank you for those who stayed with us today and, and learned from this today how important your covenant is, and I hope we've learned something today, or I hope if something has been impressed upon us today of how great your love for us is. And how we can't, we can't find this in the world. We can't find this in a person. I can't find this in a possession. I can't find this in a home or money or a bank account. I can't find this in long health. I can only find it in you. And you came, and you came with such a cost of the blood of your son to prove to us that you want to love us for the rest of time. And Father, you want our love as well, and you're not ashamed to say it. I pray that you'd help us understand how great this covenant is, that we would pour our love into you as you've poured it into us. And for the rest of time, God, you would have a people and we would have a God. We thank you for your great love. We praise you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, for everyone. I hope it was a help to you today and a blessing for you today. We'll see you guys on Wednesday for church family time. Take care. Happy Mother's Day.